The History Man with Terry Kringle. Hello. The end of more than four centuries of the medieval governance of the Isle of Man came in 1867. In other words, the old self-elected House of Keys was dissolved to make way for the democratic election of a new house. It wasn't exactly a new idea. Since the start of the 19th century, there had been public disquiet over a House of Keys whose members had always stayed in office until they died or retired, and the rest decided who should be invited to replace them. It was a closed shop, the old Pals Act, rampant nepotism, and the perpetuation of ruling family dynasties. Mind you, there were MHKs who tried to improve the lot of the Manx people under the long oppressive rule of the Lords of Man and their governors, who just weren't democratic and saw no reason to change things. But most of the House was in favour of the old regime, not surprisingly. It's not certain how long this situation would have persisted, even in the face of more and more public protest meetings, fiery sermons from the pulpit, and increasingly determined newspaper condemnation. It surely would have persisted longer, until a new governor hadn't arrived in 1863. This was Henry Brougham Locke, later Lord Locke, the man who brought about the most far-reaching reform of the constitutional position of the Isle of Man, in other words, democracy. He saw straight away that the old House of Keys had to go, and he soon found it to be a rather chastened body. Two years earlier, James Brown, editor of the Isle of Man Times, had used his columns to inveigh against the Keys' non-elected status, and they hauled him up before the bar of the House for contempt and breach of privilege. When Brown refused to apologise, they clapped him in the cells of Castle Russian for six months. It was the biggest mistake the Keys could have made. There was not only uproar in the Isle of Man, but also in London. When the case reached the High Court there, it ordered Brown's immediate release and awarded him damages for wrongful imprisonment. This put the Keys right in their place. They were fatally undermined, and soon agreed to give in to Locke's demands that they should go democratic. But not all that democratic, you understand. When you consider the island's first general election, which took place over three days in the first week of April 1867, you will understand why one commentator said the new system was, at best, a narrow piece of class legislation providing the vote for a posse of grubworms and leaving a far more intelligent class of the community disenfranchised. The situation was that candidates and voters had to be substantial property owners, and the vote went only to men, no women, although the keys were much later to be in advance of the Imperial Parliament in London in giving women the vote. The overall result was that the votes in the Isle of Man in 1867 were counted in hundreds, not thousands. The rural areas where most of the property owners lived heavily outnumbered in representation the towns where most of the poor lived. Not surprisingly, the final outcome saw little change in the membership of the new house, fifteen old members being found back in their seats. In many cases, they were returned unopposed. It proved to be a walkover, for instance, for Major J. S. Goldie Torbman of the Nunnery, Mr. W. F. Moore of Cronkbourne House, and Mr. G. W. Dumbbell, banker and advocate, who had a fine house on Belmont Hill. The old order might have changed, but not much. Something else had changed, though, 
and that was the now lively appetite of the Manx people for this new fangled democracy business. The new elections were characterised by public meetings where candidates had to defend themselves personally. These were packed and often riotous affairs, but the voice of the people, however confused on occasion, was being heard loud and clear. Medieval governments in the Isle of Man had gone forever. And just think, it happened no more than a paltry 150 years ago.